August 31st, 2008 was my first sermon here. I was actually in the interview process, um, so I didn't technically even have a job here yet. So it made the, the sermon a little more, bit more nerve-wracking. You know, like, okay, are they scrutinizing me? Are they watching my every move? Are, you know, does Dave have like a scorecard, you know, uh, checking stuff off? Even, even more than that, you know, David asked me to preach a, a few weeks before then and said, hey, your, your passage is John 3. I'm like, really, Dave? Out of all the passages in the Bible, you give me the most well-known passage where Jesus sits down and explains to Nicodemus what it means to be born again. I mean, you know, there's people at football fields holding up John 3.16, and I have to preach on that? And that sermon terrified me. And it pales in comparison to today. No, I'm not going anywhere. You're not rid of me yet. It's just that weighty of a passage. And in my preparation, it's been fraught with difficulty. The distractions that have tried to pull me away from preparing this sermon were more numerous than I've experienced in a long time. One day I had like three times the average number of phone calls that I get in a normal day. And it was a day that I was ready to sit down and study for this and just focus on this. And Satan was trying to pull me away. I had to go to the doctor thinking I had pink eye, but rather I have poison oak in my eye and I've got it on my arm and um, I've been itching like crazy all week. I've got it on my legs as well. My allergies decided to flare up two days ago. So I covet your prayers as I'm standing up here. And I know many of you have been praying for me. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to let the scriptures do the talking. If you have your Bible, open with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. We pick up around midnight, Friday morning, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke chapter 22, verse 47. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, a crowd came up. And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them, who we know as Peter, struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. I know it's awkward for it being so dark in this room. In fact, we had to put extra things up to make it darker. And I know some of you, it's going to be hard to see your Bible, and that's okay this morning. See, because Good Friday was a dark day. So as you sit in the darkness, allow it to be a reminder 
of just the attitude of the day. It was weighty. It was full of despair. It was heavy. But see, we've got a couple lights on. And they're focused on the cross. So if you can't see your Bible, look at the cross. It's intentionally in the way of me. I don't matter. The cross matters. So allow that to be your focus this morning. See, I love, I love that Jesus said this and, and that Luke recorded this. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. See, he points to something here. He's pointing to the fact that this is temporary. He says, this is your hour. You get your time. It's right now. But it's only temporary. But also, in this short statement, we see his submissiveness. Him submitting himself to to what needed to happen. In fact, just a few verses before that, he's praying in the garden and he prays that prayer that, that we've all heard so many times. Not my will, but yours be done. In fact, in the book of Matthew, as this is all going on, uh, it, it's written down that Jesus says, Do you think I cannot call on my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? By the way, that's about 60,000 angels. But then how would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? He's submissive. He's willing to go. Let's continue going. Verse 54 of Luke 22. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked at him closely and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly, this fellow was with them, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. We're hovering around this word of despair this morning. And I cannot imagine the despair that Peter must have felt. I mean, he was close enough that Jesus could see him. He turned and looked at Peter. Must have cut to his heart. And just before that, as they're all sitting at the table, Peter stands up and says, Lord, Never, never would I abandon you. I would go and die with you. He had just said that. And then now, he's turning and disowning Jesus, and Jesus turns and looks right at him. But see, I think Peter got a bad rap. First of all, you know, here, here Jesus is looking right at him. Jesus is right there, and he still disowns Jesus. 
And we could easily shake our finger at Peter and say, dude, Peter, he was right there. But don't we also turn our backs on our Savior, hide the fact that we're Christians, not want to talk about our relationship, when he's right there with us all the time. And that way, each and every one of us is a little bit like Peter. But see, again in Matthew, as Peter is standing up and and declaring, Lord, I would go all the way with you. I would die with you. It says, all the other disciples said the same. Every single one of the rest of them said the same thing. Yes, I would go as well, Lord. I would go and die with you. None of them did. All the rest of the disciples turned and ran as well. So there's despair here. There's heaviness. There's failure on the parts of the disciples. We continue on in Luke 22, verse 63. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, Prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. This is just the beginning of the beatings. See, between his different trials, six different trials altogether, he endured this many times over, from one place to the other. Oh, let's beat him some more. He endured the ridicule. He endured the hardship for you and for me. So let's read about a couple of his trials. Verse uh, 66. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Christ, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Amen. They all asked, are you then the Son of God? He replied, you are right in saying I am. Then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, we have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payments of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say. Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. He plied him with so many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. 
I have examined him in your presence and found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for you sent him back to us, as you can see. He has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. With one voice, they cried out, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. The one they asked for. And surrendered Jesus to their will. There's a couple of things that happen right after this that Luke doesn't record. But the other Gospels do. And yet at the same time, it's just a little blip. First of all, he mentions they, they dressed him up in a robe. In the other Gospels, they, they also talk about a crown of thorns that they had made. This is a non-replica-sized. But this uh, was made in Israel from the same bush, most likely, that they used to make Jesus' crown of thorns. Now, some of these thorns are long-ish, but I've been told that this bush can grow thorns up to three or four inches long. You'll get an opportunity to come and, and gently touch this and feel just how sharp it is. But this went on his head and was beaten down on it with a stick, cut into his forehead, and the blood started to flow. We also know that he was flogged. And through different historians and writers of the time, we, we know to some extent what the flogging was like. And I think that oftentimes as Christians, we don't like talking about Good Friday because we like to get to Easter Sunday. Because Easter Sunday is beautiful and it's filled with hope and it's filled with joy. It's filled with victory because our Savior lives, but He had to go and suffer. He had to endure unbelievable torture. I'm going to spare you the most grisly details, but want to let you know a little bit about flogging. This is out of the case for Christ where Lee Strobel, who was an investigative journalist, went around and interviewed experts in various fields to really ask the question, okay, who was this Jesus? Was he real? Did he really die? On and on he went. So right now, uh, he's interviewing a medical examiner. I'm sorry, a forensic pathologist, Dr. Robert Stein. So his job was to look at bodies and, and figure out how they died, and, 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 and what happened to them. And, and he tells us a little bit 
about Jesus' flogging. Tell me, I said, what, were the flogging, what was the flogging like? His eyes never left me. Roman floggings were known to be terribly brutal. They usually consisted of 39 lashes, but frequently were a lot more than that, depending on the mood of the soldier applying the blows. The soldier would use a whip of braided leather thongs with metal balls woven into them. When the whip would strike the flesh, these balls would cause deep bruises or contusions, which would break open with further blows. And the whip had pieces of sharp bone as well, which would cut the flesh severely. We know that many people would die from this kind of beating even before they could be crucified. At least, the victim would experience tremendous pain and go into hypovolemic shock, which means that the person is suffering the effects of losing a large amount of blood. This does four things. First, the heart races to try to pump blood that isn't there. Second, the blood pressure drops, causing fainting or collapse. Third, the kidneys stop producing urine to maintain what volume is left. And fourth, the person becomes very thirsty as the body craves fluids to replace the lost blood volume. Now there's a little bit more understanding when we hear Jesus say, I'm thirsty. He suffered horrifically, so brutally and painfully. Let's continue on in our passage. Luke 23, verse 26. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Most historians agree that it was probably just the crossbar. The vertical post was permanently fixated, and they would carry the crossbar up. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry. Let me explain this a little bit. I did some study on this the first time I read it. I was like, what? But first of all, I, I'm just thinking about the scenario. Here's our Savior, bloodied, bruised, barely holding himself together, not even strong enough to carry the crossbeam. And here these women are weeping, and he takes time out from what must have been so painful. And he turns his focus on them. Gives them a little bit of compassion. Gives them a little bit of his time. That's our Savior. See, there's two things here that are going on. First of all, what he's doing is he is uh, pointing to the impending fall of Jerusalem. He's talking in uh, verses 29 and 30. He's just talking about, hey, there's this horrible time coming. 
where people wish they had never been born, where people wish they could have been just buried alive, just out of the way of things. Because it's coming and it's that horrible. And then 31, he says, For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? See, green tree is a lot less susceptible to fire. doesn't burn as easily. Whereas, we all know, dry wood goes up like that. And so he's saying, man, if, if they're doing this, if the Romans are doing this to me, who they don't really care one way or the other about, you know, Pilate was wanting to release him, but succumbed to the crowd, like, who is this guy, whatever, then don't you think they're going to come so much harder down on you who are a pill, a thorn in their side, a bother to them? That's what the Jews were to the Romans. But see, I think there's something else going on here, and it points to our own despair around Good Friday. If God can allow something like this to happen to Jesus, who didn't deserve it at all, how much more should we receive? Those of us who do deserve everything and more. How much more should we receive? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on the right, the other on his left. Most of the pictures we have show that the nails were driven through the wrists, but, or the, the hands, but, but that wouldn't have really worked because that wouldn't have been able to support the weight of the body. They were actually driven through the wrists. If you've ever hit your elbow, hit the funny bone, that nerve hurts. And a, a larger nerve is what the nail was driven through. Horrible, horrible pain. And the same thing with the feet. Driven through, hit a nerve. Yet in the midst of that pain, Jesus said, Verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself. He is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. They mocked him and then gave him something to drink. Mocking and compassion. Back in the Roman times, when people had to use the restroom, there were public toilets. There was basically just a lot of holes and running water beneath them and, and, and people would go and do their business. And then uh, there was a stick there with a sponge on the end of it. And that's what they would use to clean themselves when they were done going to the restroom. We know that Jesus was given this wine and vinegar to drink through a sponge that was on a stick. Now, it, there's a possibility that it may not have been the same thing, but 
there's a good possibility that it was. And it makes sense why they were mocking him. Here, drink this. The best thing that I could kind of relate it to our times is a toilet brush. Here, Jesus, drink this for you, for me. He suffered that. It gives a very different picture to what was going on then, to understand that. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Even when he's on the cross, even as he's suffering, compassion for those around him. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. About noon to three. Darkness. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. We'll come back to that in a minute. That's good stuff right there. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, when seeing what was happened, what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. First of all, the curtain. Okay, this curtain in the temple, about sixty feet high, about four inches thick. You could attach horses to two sides, and the two of them running in opposite directions could not tear this curtain apart. This was something miraculous. But what it symbolized was our ability, through Christ's death, to be able to come to God directly. See, what that did was that separated people from the Ark of the Covenant, from the Holy of Holies, from the place where God was. And they had to go through the high priest to be able to talk to him. But Jesus' death said, no, that's it. We're done with that. And it was torn in two. And now you and I are able to have direct access to the Father. Through Jesus. Through what He did. I read a number of different medical journals and reports and stuff like that about why Jesus actually died. What actually killed him? And that's one of the most challenging things around the idea of crucifixion because there's so much going on with the body that sometimes it's hard to tell what people actually die from. The two main ones that I like the most, that I felt like had the best explanation, were either asphyxiation or just blood loss. But what I loved the most was what one doctor said. William D. Edwards, on the physical death of Jesus Christ, he said, the important feature may not be how he died, but rather whether he died. And every doctor agrees on that fact. Yeah, Jesus was dead. 
And in verse 47, the centurion, Jesus had just died. We already get to see the impact that Jesus has. Now see, we call it Good Friday. But it's only good because of Resurrection Sunday. Otherwise, it would have remained as just a horrible day in history. And that would have been it. See, just a couple thoughts I wanted to share with you as we have kind of walked through Friday's happenings and unpacked it a little bit. First of all, first thing that stood out to me was that Jesus was willing. I mean, when he said, I've got 12 legions of angels, 60,000 angels at my disposal. I know if it was me, man, as soon as people started mocking me, it would have been like, yeah, what? 60,000 angels, bam! What now? I will hop down, thank you very much. But he didn't. He suffered physical torture, humiliation, ridicule, false accusation, and so much more, and he never tried to stop it. Why? Because we need saving. Because you and I need saving. Dave read it out of Isaiah 53 and in 1 Peter as well. Just listen. 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in His mouth. When they hurled their insults at Him, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats. Instead, He entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I was listening just to I had my worship mix on random and this song popped up. And these lyrics, I think, just say it so well. Think about who you're bringing on Easter. They need to see and believe. Be led to the rugged tree. The one on which he cried, not for his pain, but for our debt. The very same tree that he conquered death It was an unfair deal on the part of Christ. He got my sin. I got eternal life. So I want to give you guys some time to interact with this. Some time to unpack this this morning. First of all, over here, we have the the messy toilet brush. And we have pieces of paper. I want you to write down a sin. Because in reality, it was our sin that nailed him here. I drove those nails in. Every time I sinned, I put a nail in the cross. So that's one way for you to come and interact 
write down a sin, grab a nail, come and pound it into the cross. Also over here we have communion. Take some bread and tear it. Dip it into the grape juice. As you pull it out, it may drip a little bit. In the same way that Jesus' blood dripped for you and for me. There's two tables in the back as well. Back here we have another place for you to write. It's an offering table. And it's not a place for you to come and, and, and pay for your sins and, and say, okay, I, I, I want to like earn your favor back, God. Because we can't. But rather, as an act of worship, I give. So if you want to give money, as an act of worship, go put money in one of the baskets. If you want to go and write something down and just say, God, here's what I want to give to you. Or here's what I do give to you today. Write that down. Put it in one of the baskets. We're going to take those and, and, and we're going to pray for those. We want to be praying for you as you give to God. And then finally, in that other back table, there's just a bunch of tea lights and some lighters. This was an hour when darkness reigned. But that hour is over. That hour is done. Amen? That hour is over. So go and reclaim the light. And, and light, light a candle. And just say, no, this is our time. This is our time to shine. And pray for those still lost in darkness. Ask God for the courage to reach out to others. So we've got four stations, plenty of places for you to interact. And as the band comes up, I'm just going to pray. Just use this time. Come and... and it, Bring your sins to the cross, knowing that they were forgiven. It's our sins that, that put him up there. But he was so willing to take them for you and for me. Let me pray. God, I, I don't deserve it. None of us do. I don't understand why. Why you would do that for me. But you did. And I want to say I'm thankful. I'm sorry for the wrong things that I've done. And I'm thankful that you've forgiven me for them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We love you. Amen.